Has it frozen? Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we are certainly delighted and excited for all of you who are joining us at this particular time for uh, our time of study. And we are looking forward to uh, doing some sharing as far as uh, this time together is concerned. Uh, I'm going to ask if we could, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense and seek uh, God's presence in this moment. Okay. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to study your word, to learn more about what you would have for us to do. We pray right now, God, that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you, the master teacher, will come and teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. In other words, oh God, show yourself mighty and strong and give us ears to hear what you desire for us to know and give us the spirit to apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we want to uh, start today's conversation off uh, with Galatians chapter 10, verse uh, Galatians chapter 3, rather, starting at verse 10. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. And um, this particular aspect, as far as what we're getting ready to uh, go over, what we're getting ready to study, is dealing with the law and how the law uh, did not bring to Israel's reality, and it can't bring to our reality the perfection, the maturity, the righteousness that having faith in Christ can bring. And we want to unpack this in a very meaningful way because we realize that the law brings a curse, but relationship with Jesus Christ makes us right with God. The law demanded perfection, and that is uh, perfection in the sense of maturity, but perfection in the sense of never making a mistake, never failing, uh, never falling short. And so here's the thing about understanding the law as we get ready to read it, is that the law that was, depending on who you uh, understand, there was anywhere between 16 613 laws to 616 laws, just depends on who you're reading and how you divvy that up. Anyway, we know there were over 600 plus different laws as far as the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, the Deuteronomic law uh, that govern the life, the customs, and the religious expression of Israel. And it was understood and believe that if you broke one law, you broke all of them. Okay. If you broke one law, you broke all of them. So since that law demanded perfection and there was a curse attached to that perfection, that the breaking of only one commandment, even once brings you under a curse. And we know that all people fall under that curse because there was no one that could keep the law perfectly. So I want to unpack what it means to live in Christ that releases us from the curse that the law brings. So Galatians chapter 10, chapter 3, starting at verse 10, these words we find printed and I'll be reading from the New King James Version of Scriptures. All right. I see many of you all who are joining us online and we thank God for your presence and for you putting Sister Truesdale and Sister Deborah and Sister Doris and Sister Danielle and Sister Eloise and Brother Adrian and Sister Lockwood. Thank you all so much for uh, 
joining us as far as the chat is concerned, as well as others who are uh, coming on. Let's start reading Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law under the curse, if you would highlight the phrase, the works of the law under the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you would underline that phrase. Okay. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. I like that whole verse. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith. Underline that phrase, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. If you would underline all of verse 13. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham and if you would underline the phrase, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. If you would circle the word promise, and if you would highlight the phrase, the promise of the spirit through faith. Verse 15, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, circle the word covenant, yet if it is confirmed, <clears throat> circle the word confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. If you would underline the phrase, no one annuls or adds to it. Okay. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. If you would highlight the word Abraham, highlight the words his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds. I want you to highlight the phrase and to seeds as many but as a one. And to your seed who is Christ. I want you to highlight the phrase and to your seed who is Christ. Highlight that phrase. Verse 17, and this I say that the law, circle the words, the law, which was 430 years later, <clears throat> underline the uh, words 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So I want you to, in verse 17, I want you to circle the word promise. In verse 18, I want you to circle the word promise. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So as we prepare to go through this particular teaching, this particular sharing, um, and as I mentioned earlier, that for the Israelites, they had over 600 plus laws that they were expected to govern their lives, to govern their interactions with each other, and to govern how they carry out their relationship with God. Those 600 plus laws are basically divided into the moral law, the religious law, and their cultural law. 
the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, the cultural law, and the religious law. So the religious law basically demonstrated how they worshipped God. The moral law was how they lived among each other. The cultural law is the identification markers as far as what set them apart as a nation unto God. So when we think about the moral law, the moral law basically goes to the Ten Commandments that God gave uh, Moses when they were wandering in the wilderness. The Ten Commandments, the moral law, is still prevalent as far as today's understandings are concerned. You know, thou shalt not have any other God before me, honor thy mother and father, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not uh, lie on your neighbor, um, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The, the Ten Commandments really serve as the moral law. And it's that law that really carries weight even in today's culture, regardless of whether we are Jew or Gentile. The cultural law comes down to the fact of how the Jews identified themselves. And so the cultural law really has a lot to deal with um, what clothing they should wear, what food they should eat, um, uh, the act of circumcision and things of that sort. Okay. Uh, so when you hear people talking about, well, you know, you don't eat shellfish or you don't eat this, that is the cultural law. Those are the things that set apart the Israelites as a nation. Okay. Then you have the religious law and the religious law basically goes back to how the people are to approach God, how they are to interact with God, what offerings they are expected to bring unto the Lord. Now, of course, there's been only one person that has kept the law perfectly without mistake, and that's Jesus Christ, okay? That's Jesus Christ, and we're going to unpack that in just a moment. So when we hear people talking about, you know, uh, uh, in today's culture, how we don't do a lot of things that they did in the Old Testament, that's true. However, you know, while we may have mixed uh, clothing, uh, some of us may be wearing cotton and silk or cotton and polyester and things of that sort, uh, which was against the cultural law. Uh, some men may be circumcised, some may not. That was their uh, religious law. That was how males identified themselves as part of being in the, the covenant relationship with God uh, through the act of circumcision. Uh, there were some other laws that, that they, they didn't eat uh, uh, certain types of food like pork or shellfish. Now, shellfish, I don't know about you all. I love shrimp. I love crabs. But the Jews did not eat that because that was forbidden. Okay. We as Christians, we, we, we eat that. Now, I love catfish, but catfish would have been forbidden as far as the Jewish cultural law was concerned. All right. So there were a lot of things that they did not do because it identified them as being different from the Gentile. So I know I'm stuck on just verse 10 for as many as are under the works of the law, under the curse for his written curses, everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. Now, this is what we got to drive home and this is what I want, want you to understand. That what Paul is saying is that those who place themselves under the authority of the law place themselves under the curse of the law. And this curse uh, includes a list of 12 curses recited annually by the Levites in commemoration to the covenant between God and Israel. So trying to achieve salvation through obeying the law is a no-win situation. No one can perfectly observe all the things written in the book of the law, it demands perfection. And let's be honest, there is nobody in and of the human race that is perfect. In other words, this is a major impossibility for those of us 
who are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All right. So let's continue to do this work because it says, but no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now, what, what is meant by this? And I really want to, to unpack this in a, in a, in a hopefully a, a way that will allow for us to be able to appreciate what the author is, is intending. Because there were two ways this could have been interpreted. The righteousness or the just shall live by faith. The first one is that the righteousness will live by faith in God. Or number two, the righteousness will live by God's faithfulness. Let, let me say it again. Either we will live by faith in God or we will live by the faithfulness of God. Now, all of that is nice, sounds good, but let's be honest. For us as Christians, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, both are needed. We live by faith in God because we put our trust in his Christ. Okay? All right? We live by faith in God because we put our trust in his Christ. The flip side is also true that we live by the faithfulness of God. Okay. We live by the faithfulness of God. So here's what we need to understand. That you and I are not made right before God because of the law. Okay, you and I are not made right by God because of our works. You and I are not made right with God by just being obedient. All right. We as sinful human beings cannot and do not attain right standing with God as demanded by the law. All right. And that's why whenever you and I tend to mess up and fall short and we say, well, I'll do better next time or I'll never do it again, we wind up failing. We wind up missing the mark. We wind up messing up. And yet, because of Christ, there's always hope for those of us who have a relationship with Christ. So Paul is really quoting Habakkuk, 2.4 when it says, and the just shall live by faith, meaning that you and I live our life in such a way that we trust God for God's provisions, watch this, for our sins, as well as for us to live righteously so that we can break the cycle of failure because what God does as we live by the faith God imputes or places upon us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of, of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I really want to drill home some, some, some things because I think this is where the real blessing of, 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 of us living for God really uh, comes to head. Because Paul says, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So some might say, well, maybe faith and the law are needed for salvation. In other words, I get saved and then, and then once I'm saved, then I live according to the law. All right, let me say it again. I get saved. Once I'm saved, then I, you know, live according to the law. And this is what the Judaizers were trying to push. Judaizers saying, okay, nothing wrong with confessing faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but to seal it, you got to be circumcised. Okay? Paul is arguing against the fact that, no, you don't have to be circumcised in order to have a relationship with God. So Paul is really, in a sense, deconstructing the Judaizers argument that you got to keep the law once you're saved. 
All right. Which. And, 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 and let me translate it into today's culture. Because salvation for us does not come by attending church, reading your Bible, paying tithes and offerings, engaging in a ministry, doing missionary work, and things of that sort. Your salvation and my salvation uh, are, are, are not are not connected to those things in order for those things to happen. In other words, uh, that stuff does not save us. Now, let me, if I could, bring in something that I don't know if many of you all have heard about, but trending in the news over the last several days is something that happened in a Catholic church whereby the priest used the wrong formula to baptize people. Uh, when he was baptizing people, he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We baptize you. And the proper wording from the Catholic perspective is I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, according to Catholic understanding, and, and this is where I'm trying to help you to understand Baptist distinctives because this is very important. From the Catholic understanding that those persons who were baptized by him using that formula, their baptism is invalid. And so because their baptism is invalid, then that means that everything else from that point is invalid. Now, this is the Catholic understanding, okay? This is the Catholic understanding. And so since this is the Catholic understanding that they think that um, those baptisms and all the other sacraments, weddings, uh, communion, things of that sort are invalid because the baptism is invalid. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad I'm Baptist. And I, I'm, I'm glad that in our understanding and in our theology, first of all, baptism does not save you. That baptism is a sign that you and I have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, it is also important for us to understand we should not handle the ordinances so superficially or nonchalantly or um, um, haphazardly, if I can use that word, all right? Now, in the Baptist church, baptism and Lord's Supper are ordinances. They are religious observances. But in the Catholic church, they are sacraments. They are considered to be a means of grace. And so because they look at it as a means of grace or a means of the Lord doing something in there, there is for them, Watch this. For them, uh, greater weight placed on them. So for us, it's a sign. For them, it is the way that the Lord brings about it. So it is kind of work related or based upon works. All right. This is why in the Baptist church, we don't look at baptism as a means of grace, we look at baptism as an observance of grace or a sign of grace, okay? We know we're not saved by baptism, okay? So really what Paul is arguing is really a Protestant understanding of being in relationship as far as uh, baptism is concerned and as far as other things are concerned. You don't need the law for salvation, all right? Now, how am I driving this home for us as Christians in today's culture? I don't come to church to get saved. I don't get baptized to get saved. I don't give tithes and offerings to get saved. Uh, I don't read my Bible to get saved. I do all of that stuff, watch this, because I am saved. 
Okay, I do all of that stuff. I engage in ministry because I am saved. All right, I don't do that stuff to get saved. All right, all right. So really, Paul wants us to understand that you and I, as far as our lives are concerned, no one can fully keep the law in and of himself. And for another one or for somebody else to add conditions of the law, as far as our salvation is concerned, is really out of sync with what God would desire. Okay. So really what Paul is saying, only if you're able to keep all 600 plus laws that you have divine approval from God as far as the law is concerned. But since we could not do that, uh, and since we are condemned by the law, we got to place our faith in something a lot better than the law, and that's God. Now, watch this. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. For Christ has, watch this, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on the tree. He has redeemed us. That word redeem basically means to deliver us, to buy us out of slavery. But it also has an extra meaning that blesses me. It is the process by which God through Jesus Christ accomplishes our salvation. In other words, Christ redeems us, that's all of us, by buying us out of slavery to sin and to the law by becoming the very thing that God despises, and that is a curse. All right? He paid for our redemption with his life. He paid for our redemption with his life. Because remember, the law demands obedience. While at the same time, if you don't obey, you're going to have to suffer. So given the fact that we can't keep the law perfectly, the law becomes a curse. So the very thing that is to make us right with God makes us wrong with God. It's, it's like being on the treadmill and you're just spinning your wheel like a hamster on that treadmill, but you're most likely to fall off at any time. And the moment you fall off, you've messed up. Okay? The law demand mistake proof. So we had no hope. So how did Christ become a curse for us? Watch this, a curse for us. He is quoting Deuteronomy 21, 23, when he says that curse is any person who hangs on a tree. The quotation here means, meant not that a person who was cursed by God because he was hung, but rather to be hanged on a tree signifies to the Jew that the person is cursed. Christ was not cursed because he was crucified, but rather because Jesus willingly allowed for himself to be nailed on a cross, became cursed for all humanity, and thus endured the act of crucifixion. And it is at the cross the curse of the law was transferred from us as sinners to the sinless son of God. That's why Jesus said at Calvary, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, the father forsook God, the son for a short time when he became the penalty for sin. In other words, Jesus became the very thing that God despised so that you and I could be made right with God. He became our sin. He became our guilt. He became our unrighteousness to make us right 
with God. It is by the works of Christ that you and I are made right with God. This is the hope for all of us that are sinners. And this is what separates the Christian religion from any other monotheistic or polytheistic religion in the world. The person of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm sticking with Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. Jesus is the one who basically makes us right with one another. Jesus is the one who has taken on our punishment, our sins, our curse, so that when we come to God, God looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and says, boom, because you believe in Jesus Christ, you are justified and you're made right with me. Now, let me say something. There are some people that don't believe in what is called the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. There's, in fact, there are some seminaries that teaches that did not take place. Now, as a Christian, when I look at the writings of Paul, I look at it in the fact that Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That Jesus Christ became sin that you and I might become what is called the righteousness of God. So now watch, watch, watch how Paul then blends this with Father Abraham. In verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Now, check out how, 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 how he really makes this work. He wants us to understand that you and I are made right with God because we're considered Gentiles. We are not Jews. You and I are made right with God because of Jesus Christ. So there are two purposes for Jesus's dying on Calvary. The first one is that the Gentiles might receive the blessing of Abraham. And secondly, all of those who believe will receive the promise of the spirit. That is the Holy Spirit who was promised in verse two of Galatians chapter 10. Now, here is what Paul is really driving home. Paul is emphasizing that salvation and sanctification and ultimately glorification comes by faith in God through Jesus Christ, not by works of human hands or the flesh. All right. So the Jews, of course, are descendants of Abraham. Let me say it again. The Jews are descendants of Abraham. All right. But the interesting thing is that Abraham himself was a Gentile, wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. Paul talks about how by faith we receive the promise of the Spirit because both Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith. Now, why is this so important? Because the Holy Spirit was present at the creation of the cosmos and the Holy Spirit is one of the agents in the origin of life. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when he talks about, and let us make man in our image and in our likeness, that's God having a conversation with God's self, the Godhead. So if the Holy Spirit is present in the creation of the world, if the Holy Spirit is an agent of life, then the Holy Spirit is also behind the rebirth of every Christian. So the Holy Spirit provides the power to help us to do what the law requires externally. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit directs our life, our actions, our behavior, and our moral direction. The Holy Spirit lives in us and the Holy Spirit puts us in check when it comes to our sinful human desires. All I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to live for God. Now, I need to quickly help to give understanding to the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to make you shout, dance, or run up and down the aisle in church. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to cause us to live in a way that pleases God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is Christ in us that prompts and propels us to live in the way that God will have for us to live. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not about shouting and dancing and singing and doing all the histrionics we see in worship. And I don't want to negate that, but I want to let us know that it's more than that. All right? It's more than that. Because what good is it for us to dance, shout, run up and down the aisle, and we don't speak to our brother and sister on the parking lot? What good is it for you to speak in tongues and you can't speak to your neighbor in English? All right. So this is the purpose of, of the spirit. Now, verse 15 through 18 is very deep. And hopefully I can bring out the depth in a very simple form. Because when I did my deep dive on this, it shouted me. It blessed me. It, it messed me up. Uh, and so I want to slow walk this so that I can help you all to understand the blessing of this. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one knows that or adds to it. Now, Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not see it into his seeds, but as to many, uh, as a many, but as a one. And to your seed, who is the Christ. Now, verse 15 to 16, it sounds very convoluted. However, it is my hope and it's my prayer that I can enact this in a very meaningful way that's going to bless you. So let's start at verse 15. Brethren, here is Paul calling them brothers and sisters. And here is Paul also getting ready to dismantle the Judaizers uh, who's going to talk about Abraham being justified by faith. Because even if Paul's opponents admit that Abraham was justified by faith, the Judaizers are going to say, but yeah, he got circumcised though. And he sealed his relationship through circumcision. So here's what Paul does. Paul is now talking to the Gentiles or talking to the Galatians in a way that they will understand or appreciate it. And, and what is meant by that? Because Galatians are Gentiles who are under Roman control, because remember the Roman Empire is uh, in charge and running things at the time. And so they would understand what it means to make a will under Roman law. And so notice how Paul talks about, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So here is Paul talking about the fact that just as a proper will is executed or put in place under the Roman law, it cannot be changed. It cannot be set aside. So Paul is saying just as like under Roman law, once the will is made, it cannot be changed. He is saying that when you think about how God does it, once God says something, it cannot be annulled or added to. 
All right. Okay. Now, this is really what I want 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 to drive home and want you all to to appreciate because it blesses me. As he talks about in their time, once a will was registered at the records office, not even the originator could change it or reverse it. In other words, it was irrevocable. Okay? It was irrevocable. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that once the Lord says something, that even though God is sovereign, God is not going to go back on God's word. Okay? God's divine promise was made to Abraham long before God gave the law to Moses. And so long before Moses came on the scene, 430 years later, it was a binding agreement that God had made to Abraham and his seed. And it could not be changed. And it could not be annulled. So when you read in Genesis chapter 12, the promises of a new land and a great nation. And in Genesis chapter 15, the promise that, that God had made to Abraham and his descendants too numerous to count. He's going to make them a great nation. And in Genesis 17, the promise that God made to Abraham that uh, there would be an ancestor to many nations, that kings would come from his lineage. And then in Genesis 22, that the descendants would be so numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands on the sea that God promised would go to Abraham and his seed. Now, here's where the shout is. Here's where the blessing is. Here's what I really want to drive home. Because what God is saying to us through Paul is God is saying, I've made a promise. I'm not going to go back on my promise. And watch this. And he says, and he made it to Abraham and his seed. To Abraham and his seed. Let me say it again. To Abraham and his seed. Now, who is the seed of Abraham? Because when we think about it, we would think Isaac, and then from Isaac, Jacob, then from Jacob on down, da 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 da. Okay? The stress is on not seeds, plural, but seed, singular. Israel always was looking for somebody who would be the seed of Abraham. For us, that seed was not Isaac. It was not Jacob. It was not Joseph. It was not Moses. It was not Joshua. It was not David. It was not Solomon. That seed, that Messiah is Jesus Christ. That seed is Jesus Christ. It is in and through Jesus Christ that you and I have the hope of the blessing of redemption. All right? Now, this is what blesses me and this is what shouts me. You and I are not made right because of Abraham or because of Isaac or Jacob or Moses or Joshua or Samuel or the judges or David and the other kings or the prophets. You and I are made right because of the seed of Abraham, who is ultimately Jesus Christ. All right. Now, 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 this is what blesses me 
And this is what shouts me. Because notice in verse 17, Paul saying, and I say this, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Huh? Here it is. And this is what I'm getting ready to drop on you. The children of Israel didn't get the law until 430 years after it was given to Abraham. And what Paul is saying is that even with the law coming 430 years later, it did not negate the promise that God had given to Abraham 430 years before. In other words, God kept his promise to Abraham, did not take it back, even though thousands of years had passed. He saved Abraham, not through the law and not through circumcision, but by his faith. And since God was able to save Abraham by his faith before the law ever came into existence, God is able to do the same thing and save us by our faith after the law. The seed that God is talking about for Abraham is none other than the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Now, here is the blessing that I want to drop on y'all because it blessed me. Circumstances and situations will change. Folks will change on you. Circumstances will change on you. Situations come and go. Days may be good or bad. You may have to go through the valley or you may have to go through the mountain. You're going to have some up days, down days, sunny days, rainy days. But God is constant. And God does not break God's promises. And God has promised to forgive our sins, not through the law, but through Jesus Christ. That's the promise keeper. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad that when man or woman break our promises, that God does not break God's promise. All right. So here, here, here is Paul breaking up the Judaizers because contrary to what the Judaizers says, obedience to the law is not necessary to gain the inheritance. You and I gain our inheritance because of grace by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. All right. Now, let me sum it up and let me call it a day. Because verse 18 seals it. And it says, for the inheritance is, for if the inheritance, and that word if means condition, for if the inheritance of the law is no longer a promise. In other words, if I got to keep the law to get the inheritance, then it ain't a promise. It's something I got to do. So like oil and water, the law and the promises can't mix. It doesn't work. It doesn't flow like that. It can't be that way. The law and the promise are just as opposite as they are not. The law and the promise, it, 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 it's, 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 it's like oil and water. And I don't care how much oil you put in water, you can stir it, the oil will go to the bottom, and then it's going to come back up to the top. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to mix. You can put them in the same container. You can put them in the same jar. You can put it in the same glass. Just think about it. Next time, you know, I, I, you, God. All right, all right. Here's a blessing. 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 I want you to, to wherever you are, I, where, wherever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are. Oh, God, just getting good. Wherever you are. I want you to consider yourself to be glass. Right, get, you, get, get you a glass. And I want you to put some water in that glass and that water is going to be your works. <laughs> Teach Rome, child, Scott, that water is going to be your work. So I want you to get glass and I want you to put, you know, 
however much work you think you've done as far as the kingdom is concerned, I want you to put, you know, and for some of us, we're going to think we've done a whole lot of work. So for some of us, we may even have the water overflowing in the glass. But I want you to put some, put some, put some water in that glass. All right. Then I want you to get, if you can, some liquid Crisco or some olive oil, something oily. And I want you to put some oil in that water. Because you're the glass. I want you to put some oil in that, in that water. And, 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 and I want you to, if you're inclined, to stir it up. Get you a spoon, stir it up. And you're going to notice the oil going to break up in bubbles and stuff. And it may even go down to the bottom. But guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back up to the top. Now, the water represents your works and the law. The oil represents the spirit. Where does the oil always come to? Top. It always rises to the top. It always comes to the top. In other words, oil and water, just like oil and water don't mix, the, the law and the promises don't mix. And you can put them in the same container, but they are never going to combine. But that oil is always going to be on top. Now, here's what I want you to understand, because if I don't bless you with nothing else, I, I want to bless you right now. I want you to be not watery, but oily. Because what? Because because God, in his grace, gave the promise to Abraham. Abraham didn't deserve it. You don't have to work to attain what's been promised to you. Ooh. Ooh. You, you, you ain't got to work to attain what's been promised to you. Let me say that one more time. You already got it. It's given to you because of grace. You ain't got to work to get salvation. God gave Abraham the inheritance through a promise. And the way that you and I are saved is still good today. It was good back in Paul's day. It's good today. God in his grace saves us by faith alone. God gives it graciously, not reluctantly. God gives it in love, not in judgment. God gives it abundantly, not in little pieces. In other words, you, 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 ain't, you, you ain't a little saved. Either you saved or you ain't. That's like for a woman talking about she a little pregnant. No, either you're pregnant or you're not. All right? Ain't no such thing as a little saved. Either you is or you ain't. And I know the way I'm talking is bad English, but it's great theology. Great philosophy. Okay? Ain't no such thing as a little salvation. Now, our growth is a horse of a different color. But you and I, you and I have been given the way of how God has already granted our promise. Here's what, here's, here's what I want you to understand. Try, trying to keep the law is, is like a court of justice. But the gospel comes before the throne of grace. Okay? You're trying to keep 600 plus laws, you're going to fail every time. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, watch this, then what he does by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise that God has given us, because the presence of the spirit operating in our lives is a sign that we have been saved, then the spirit prompts and propels us to do the things that God will have for us to do. And then when we disobey what the spirit will have for us to do, we grieve the Holy Spirit, which is why we got to get forgiveness for our sins. So it is a constant back and forth, ebb and flow of us growing. Watch this through the act of sanctification. The problem is we got a lot of folks that want to stay at the entry point of salvation rather than growing through sanctification to become all that God will have for him or her to be. 
In other words, and I close on this. If you place your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you. But you and I can't be satisfied with having the righteousness of God imputed to us because of what Jesus Christ has done. We now have to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to become what God would have for us to be. So here's what I'm trying to drive home. And if you don't get anything else, get this right now. I don't come to church. I don't give tithes and offerings. I don't get baptized. I don't take communion. I don't do ministry. I don't engage in mission. I don't treat folks right trying to get saved. But I do all that stuff because I am saved. I do it not as a means of security, but I do it as a sign of my salvation. I don't, I don't do that stuff trying to get God's favor. I do it because I have God's favor. And even if I don't do it, it does not negate my salvation. I just lose out on some of the blessings that God wants to give me, not only in the hereafter, but in the here and now. That's what I'm trying to drive home. You and I don't do a lot of things that we do because we're trying to get God's favor. We already have that, but we do a lot of the things that we do because God has promised that there are blessings that are connected to us living out a life of righteousness and salvation. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Are there any questions? Are there any questions? Uh, if you have any questions or comments, if you would, um, uh, place them in the chat uh, before I close out for our time together. Any questions or any comments? If not, uh, next week we will pick up and finish this chapter, chapter three, verses uh, 19 through uh I believe we're going to verse 29, 19 through verse 29. And this is going to be real good teaching next week. Real good teaching next week. Real good teaching next week. Um, uh, and we're going to have fun with this next week. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for, for joining us as far as our time together is concerned. And um, I, I want to encourage you that if you feel led to be a blessing to St. Paul, you can give uh even now, and the major ways you can give is by either mailing a check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can give through our church website, uh, ACS or Church Life. Or you can give through the app called the Givelify. Uh, you can download that app to your smart device and in three clicks, you can give to St. Paul. Or if you want to drop off check, cash, money order to the church, just call the church office at 704-334-5309. Make sure someone is here to receive that offering um, and we'll put it in the safe and it'll be part of the following Sunday's count. All right. Well, it is my hope and prayer that uh, this uh, time of togetherness has been a blessing to you. Uh, it was a blessing to be able to share it with you and, and let us walk in the knowledge and the freedom that Christ has given us by saving us from our sins and, and let us please God with our efforts and our actions. Listen, God bless you. Have a smile upon you and may the grace of God be yours. And uh, just remember, I just want to remind us our church doors are open. Uh, Mecklenburg County, of course, has. Uh, done away with the uh, mass requirements and mandates. However, if you come to St. Paul, we're asking that you please, ma'am, please, sir, wear your mask. We want to keep the church doors open. Um, but at St. Paul, uh, we're, we're, we're requiring that you wear your mask if you want to come in person. And we are open. People are coming back slowly but surely. Tell your family and friends that we invite them to uh, come to church on Sunday in person if that's so their desire. All right. May God bless you. Have a blessed and safe rest of the week. Please, ma'am, please, sir, take care of yourself. God bless you.